have you ever been to the movie and you really just can't stand the ending? You know how it is, right? You're sitting there and you're, you're eating your popcorn and you're really into everything that's happening. And then all of a sudden it just feels like the credits come out of nowhere. And you're thinking, this really can't be the end of the movie now. I mean, you can't end it like this. And so you get frustrated, right? You, you got to tie things up for me. I want to know what happened to the main character. Like, what happened to him? And there's these circumstances that need resolution. And there's, you just don't get it. And so you walk out of the theater and you're almost mad, you know. And so you call your friends the next day and say, oh, man, I really couldn't stand that movie. Well, why not? The ending. There wasn't one. You know, it's just, it's just frustrating because we want things tied up. That's just how we are as humanity, right? We, a little suspense, you know, keep us on the edge of our seat. That's fun. We enjoy that. But then, like, bring some closure to it, some finality. We want some understanding. Tie things up for us. We can put a bow on it, you know. And then we come to the Gospel of Mark. John Mark, he just doesn't seem to feel that same kind of pressure that we do. And so we come to the story of the resurrection. This is the greatest story that's ever told. And, and we read how Mark ends his gospel as we've been going through this gospel for the whole year. We say, this is how you want to end it? You, you, you can't end it like this, Mark. This, this just won't do. And so you, you read the end and you're almost frustrated with the ending. You know, Mark, he's like your friend, you know, and you, you see your friend, you're going to give him a high five, and Mark just kind of turns away, just kind of leaves us hanging. That's kind of how it feels. And we think, man, Mark, what a clumsy way to end. But maybe this clumsy ending wasn't really clumsy after all. Maybe he had a reason. Maybe he had a purpose. Maybe he accomplished exactly what it is he wanted to accomplish. Let's go ahead and check it out. The end of Mark's gospel, the conclusion of his gospel, you find it, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Mark 16, 1 through 8. John Mark writes, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go ahead and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll, the stone, roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The women went out trembling. Fear seized them. They said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. Do you see what I mean? Mark, this is how you want to end it? Just trembling, fear, silence, saying nothing, running out? Like, you can't end it like this, Mark. This is the resurrection. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. The most consequential event ever to take place in all of humanity. You can't end it like this. It's frustrating. We look at this. Mark, 
I mean, he's a great storyteller. He's brought us up to this point. We've been following Jesus all along. And now we get to the last scene. And we're not even following Jesus anymore. He's kind of absent from the story, you know. I mean, we're told about him, but we don't actually get to see him. It's just the narrator basically telling us what Jesus is doing. And it almost feels frustrating. You know, we're not the only ones to feel that frustration. Ever since Mark wrote his gospel, as Christians throughout the centuries have come to read this, there's been this sense of frustration. And so in your Bibles, if you're looking in your Bible right now, you'll, you'll even see that there's verses 9 through 20. And in verses 9 through 20, they'll have brackets around them, or there'll be an asterisk there, and then you'll have this note that the earliest and best manuscripts did not include this. It wasn't there. And what they're telling you is that some guys, they're transcribing Mark's gospel, they read it and they get to the end of it and they're saying, oh no, this won't do. We, we got to help Mark out a little bit. Let's, let's just kind of, let's wrap things up. Let's bring some finality to it. Let's put a conclusion on it. And so they write this ending for us. Understand, that's not scripture, okay? That's not Bible. You, you can just kind of disregard verses 9 through 20 because it's not Bible, it's people just like you and me who are saying, let's see if we can help Mark out. Now, before we get to the end and just kind of ask, Mark, why, why did you end it like this? Let's kind of jump back and look and see what Mark did tell us about that Sunday morning. He, first thing we notice is it's, it's the women. They bought spices and they're going to anoint Jesus' body. And it's interesting, you know, because the whole time as we've been going through Mark's gospel, we've always been following Jesus and his disciples. We're seeing what Jesus is teaching and the miracles he's performing and the people he's interacting with and how he's instructing his disciples and developing his disciples. It's always Jesus and his disciples and now we get to Mark 16, the last chapter of the book, where we get to see the finality and the resurrection and the grand moment. And we're not following Jesus and the disciples anymore. We're following the women. We're forced to follow the women. And I, and I say it like that because I want you to understand just the culture of the day, okay? The culture of the day, I mean, women, they're at the bottom of the social ladder pretty much, all right? So much so that they're, they were not allowed to testify in a court of law. Their, their, their testimony was considered unreliable. So if you have a case and the only witness to the crime that you have is a woman, well, you have no case because she can't testify. She's unreliable. Understand, as we're reading Mark's gospel... We know that what he's writing is trustworthy because he'd never fabricate a story like this. He'd never make up a lie this bad, okay? I mean, the last thing he would ever do is to put, okay, let me see if I can convince everybody. I'm going to take three women, these really unreliable witnesses, and I haven't even really said anything about them in my book, and they're going to be the ones who see the empty tomb, basically the only witnesses to it. No, no, he'd, he'd never make up a lie that bad. And so that, that kind of clues us in that maybe everything he's writing is trustworthy. Maybe we can take seriously just what he's saying. And what we have here, we had the testimony of three women. Now, the day before, Saturday was the Sabbath. 
Okay? And the Sabbath was a day of rest and a day of worship. And we know from the other Gospels that that's what the women did on the Sabbath. Even after everything that happened on Friday, the women still worshipped that Saturday. You can imagine it was a difficult day of worship. A day that was probably filled with tears and, and just high emotion. And they couldn't do anything. They couldn't go out and like buy the spices on that Saturday. So first thing, Sunday morning, just as soon as they can, they probably barely even slept with everything that had happened. But they get up just as soon as they can and they go and they buy spices so they can be at the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And we have this glimpse of hope as Mark is telling the story because he tells us that when the sun had risen, the ladies went to the tomb. And that clues us in that maybe there's some hope here because you remember when Jesus died? Middle of the afternoon, right at noon in the afternoon, darkness covers the whole earth. It's just dark. And now here we are Sunday morning, and it's beautiful. It's light. And so maybe something good is going to happen. Maybe this is going to be a good day. But that hope, as you're reading the story, well, it almost disappears for a moment. Because there's this conversation that the ladies begin to have. Right? They, they bought these spices and they're coming and they, they just want closure. They want finality. They, they want to wrap things up, you know, put a bow on it, do this last act of kindness for Jesus, a proper funeral for him. They want to anoint his body. And so this is what they're going to do. And then on their way, all of a sudden they start asking one another, hey, how are we supposed to move that stone? You know, that's covering the tomb. We're not strong enough to move that. No, no Roman soldier is just going to unseal the tomb for us and roll the stone. Away. How are we going to do this? You, you would have thought that they would have thought about this before now, but you know how it is when your life is just upside down and everything's just messed up. And these women, they, they, were, they were messed up from everything that happened. And, and they want to bring this last act of closure. And I think for a moment they're thinking, we can't. We're not going to be able to. Like, we, we've got the spices, we've got everything, we got up early, but how are we going to do it? And you can imagine for a moment that their, their heads are just downcast, they're looking to the ground and, and just crying, perhaps feeling helpless, the whole situation. And then they look up and they see. The stone has already been moved. It's already been rolled away. And they get there, and we get there, and we get to Easter late. I mean, that's what happens, right? The resurrection's already taken place. We get to Easter late. You know why? Because we don't have a story of anybody who actually believed the resurrection. Now, Understand what I'm saying. Listen to me. Nobody, when Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to rise again in three days, nobody actually believed that. The disciples, they're off hiding, right? They've deserted Jesus. They're they're just seeking self-preservation. Hey, we we don't want to end up in that same fate. He's dead. It's over. We'll just hide. The ladies, uh, they're not there to witness the resurrection, They're there for a funeral. Now, the funeral's called off due to life, but that's why they're there. They're there for a funeral. 
Nobody actually believed the resurrection. And so we get to Easter late. The ladies show up and Mark tells us that there's a young man there. The, the other gospel writers tell us that he's an angel, but Mark just says a young man. You know, I, you know, I love how Mark put it. He's just a guy. You know, where did this guy come from anyway? Like, just a guy? Come on, Mark. If it's an angel, I want to know what's an angel. Like, tell us about an angel. That's exciting. But just, just a guy? But that's all Mark says. Just a guy dressed in white. Why? Because for Mark, the, the messenger is not so important. What's important is the message. And the message for the women is do not be afraid. Too late. They're already terrified, right? They're scared out of their minds. What have they just walked into? Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, look at the place where they laid him. This is angelic reassurance, you know. Because in a moment like that, with the emotions so high, you, you know what the women might have been thinking, right? Like, did, did we make the right tomb? Like, is, is, is this the right place? Or did we get confused in everything that was happening? You know, it's early and just we haven't slept much. Are we at the right place? And the angel's just reassuring you, yeah, this is the place. This is where they laid him. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, I know. He's not here. He's alive. He's risen. And then the angel gives the women this message. Now go, go back. Tell, tell the disciples, and especially tell Peter, that Jesus will meet them in Galilee just as he said. And the ladies hear this, and they're just afraid. I mean, they're, they're trembling with fear. It just seizes them. And they run out afraid, silent, and they tell no one. And that's the end of the story. Say, Mark, you can't end it there, Mark. This is the resurrection. You got to end on a note of praise and joy and celebration. You can't end with them silent and afraid and true. You can't do that, Mark. I mean, a cliffhanger is one thing, but this just feels wrong. But that's what Mark does. See, in this glorious moment of the resurrection, what do we want? We want, if we were writing the script, you know, if it was us and we were kind of directing the movie, we would have Jesus there. We've been following him through 15 chapters. You better believe that he would show up in the last chapter because we want to know what happens to Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And so if we're writing the script, when the women come to the tomb, it's Jesus who's coming out, you know. And Jesus is coming out, and he's embracing them, and he's hugging them, and he's wiping the tears from their eyes. It's this glorious, beautiful moment. And then somebody runs and tells the disciples, and the disciples come to the tomb too, and Jesus is hugging them. There's this great party, and we end on this note of joy and celebration, and it's beautiful. I mean, that's what we would want, right? That's how we would tell the story. Here's the thing about Jesus. You don't meet him where they bury him. You know that? You don't meet Jesus where they buried him. He's not like anybody else. You go to Acts 2, and you can read about David's tomb and that, how they turn it into a shrine. Oh, you want to meet David? You go to his tomb, and you can kind of worship David there or think about David and how great he was. You just go to his tomb. All the other prophets, you go to Matthew 23, and it says that they dressed up the tombs of the prophets. 
And oh, you want to think about the prophets? You just go to their tomb and, and you can, oh, this is where this prophet was and this is where this prophet was and how great they were. You look at modern leaders of today and people today and they die. And what do we do? We go on these bus tours and we have a narrator at the front of the bus. Oh, look over there. This is this person's tomb and this is this person's tomb and how great they are. And this is what they did. And this is this person's tomb and this is what they did. And then we go to tomb to tomb to tomb. Oh, man, these are all these great people. With Jesus, you don't meet them where they bury him. You don't meet Jesus where they bury him. Jesus' tomb is not some wailing wall that we go to and we just cry. Oh, man, everything Jesus went through on the cross, now he's dead and this is the tomb. No, you don't meet Jesus where they buried him. Because God is not the God of the dead. He's not the God of those just enshrined tombs, corpses. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So you don't meet Jesus where they bury him. You meet Jesus in life. For the disciples, it was Galilee. For us, it's wherever we live, work, study, play. It's all of life. It's not just this building. We come here and we celebrate and we declare to the world that he is alive, that he is risen. But he's not just risen in this place. He's, he's risen everywhere. He's alive. And so we don't meet him where they, where, where they buried him. You know the ending of Mark's gospel? What it teaches us? is that after the resurrection, we still live with ambiguity. There's still confusion. That we, we want the gospel to conclude on this note of victory and this note of celebration. That's not what Mark does. The ache of death still hangs over the scene. Because you read this and you're reminded that even at this moment, while Jesus is risen... The disciples are hiding. Even though Jesus is risen, the, the women, they're trembling with fear. They're, they're afraid. They're, they're silent. And so Mark, he writes this gospel for those of us who will never see Jesus' physical body here on earth while we're, while we're on this earth. He, he writes this gospel for those of us who like the disciples, sometimes face seemingly impossible situations in life, we say, Jesus, what I really want right now is for you just to appear before me in bodily form because I want you to embrace me. I want you to wipe the tears away from my eyes like right here because everything I'm going through and everything that life has thrown at me, I don't think I can bear God. And I want you here with me. That's what I feel like I need. And Mark writes his gospel to tell us that, you know what, in this life there's still some ambiguity. There's still some confusion. That everything doesn't always make sense. The sting of suffering, of death, still hangs over the triumph of the resurrection. And it does on this earth. It does. And so... Mark, he leaves us in this confusion. You know, the other gospel writers, there's post-resurrection confusion there too. Matthew's gospel, it tells us that when the disciples hear about the resurrection, that some doubted. 
In Luke's gospel, you have the story of the Emmaus Road, okay? And there's two friends, and they're just walking just downcast, dejected. They had hoped in Jesus, but they don't hope anymore because dead is dead. And as they're walking along, Jesus shows up, and he begins to walk with them. But these two friends, they're confused, and they look at Jesus. This is just another stranger. He's just another lonely sojourner on his way to Emmaus. He's probably given up as well. And then you get John's gospel. And Mary Magdalene, she sees Jesus and she thinks Jesus is just a gardener. Oh, he's probably just here to trim the bushes. So there's this confusion. The difference is the other gospel writers, they let us linger in the confusion for just a little bit. And then they wrap it up for us. And it ends on this triumph and the great commission. And all this is grand. It's great. It's joyous. It's victorious. Mark, he just leaves us in the confusion. They're silent, they're afraid, and they're just running away, not telling anybody, not completing their mission. See, here's the thing. This this ending, it gives us this subtle reminder that in a confusing world, we don't just peer into the tomb once a year. You know, the, the message to the disciples wasn't, hey, come to the tomb, look in so that you can see it's empty. And then you'll have confidence and everything will be great, you know, and you just go from there. And you come back and you do it again next year and you look in and go, oh yeah, it's still empty, we're good. Still empty. Jesus' body isn't in there, we're good. But you know what? Sometimes we do that here, don't we? We come in around Easter time and we look in and we peer in. Yep, empty. He's alive, we're good to go. No, it's this reminder that you don't find Jesus where they buried him. He is the truth. He defines life. You look for him in every moment of every day. Where else are you going to find truth? You're just going to ask your buddies around the water cooler. You're going to go. You're going to turn on the news. Is the news going to give you truth? All that does is leave you in despair, right? You just hear all the problems in the world. That's no joy there. If you want truth, the only place you find it is in Jesus and in his word. Because he is truth. He defines reality. This is the good news of the gospel, that God is the gospel. And so we look to Jesus every moment of every day. Mark's ending also touches on this problem that as humans, we're confronted by our own failure. You know, the the way of discipleship. It's not this grand procession through life where we look back, made disciples, made disciples, made disciples. This is all great. I've done everything perfectly. Now, the way of discipleship is a way that's still marked by personal failure after personal failure after personal failure. Mark's gospel, it, it ends on an almost pessimistic note. Because Mark, he doesn't give us this great testimony. Oh, the woman, the women, they, they heard the command of the angel and they went out and they, they told the disciples and everything was great. No, no, no. He tells us that the women failed their mission. They were quiet. They told no one. And the last that we heard of the disciples in Mark's gospel, they're all hiding out. They've given up. They've deserted. It almost ends on this pessimistic note. But understand, Mark's gospel, it's not about the disciples' failures. It's it's not about their foolishness. 
The gospel is about the power of God which overcomes human dysfunction. The power of God which overcomes human disobedience, which overcomes human disaster. And you know what? This is what we know 2,000 years later. That the gospel was proclaimed. That the church of Jesus continues to proclaim the gospel. And that the church is thriving today like never before. And I know maybe you look and you say, well, Steve, I've read some statistics, you know, about the church in America. It's on the decline, actually. It's not looking too good. And, and then when you dig a little deeper into the numbers, you find out that roughly 90% of the church actually makes little to no impact on their unbelieving neighbors because, well, they're not sharing the gospel. So how do you say it's thriving? Listen, if you're just looking at the church in America, that's a very myopic way of looking at things. The church of Jesus Christ is thriving today like never before. It is exploding in Africa. You read about the underground church in China and in the Far East and what's happening over there. It is incredible what God is doing through his church as the gospel continues to to expand and believers continue to share and risk their lives in sharing this glorious good news. And today, this morning, we gather and we celebrate the continued expansion of Jesus Christ's church in the world. That this church will not be overcome by the gates of hell. It will prevail and it will continue to expand. But Mark's gospel, it leaves us and it reveals that the successful mission of God is not dependent upon human performance. So it's not about how good we are. And you look at this story and you say, well, it looks like maybe the women were a little better than the disciples, you know? The disciples all went away in fear, but here are the women. They're coming to the cross. They're following Joseph of Arimathea. They're seeing where Joseph buried the body. They're getting up Sunday morning to go and do this funeral service. But here's the thing, they still think he's dead. They didn't believe the resurrection either. They're there for a funeral. And then they get the mission. Here's what you're supposed to do. Go tell the disciples, especially tell Peter. And all Mark tells us is, no, they can't. Fear's taken over. They, they, they can't say anything to anyone. And so it just leaves us there. But here's the thing. With God... Our failure is not fatal. With God, our failure is not fatal. And sometimes we think it is, you know. Because we look and say, well, I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know what I've thought. I I know what I haven't done. And if I could take it back, oh man, a hundred times over I'd take it back. I wish I could have this moment in my life back. I wish I could have a redo right here. But you can't. And you wonder, could God ever use me? Like I, Maybe he's powerful enough to save me, but actually use me? And one of the things we see in the gospel is, yes. That with God, our failure is not fatal. But as you read through the entirety of the Bible, one of the things you notice is, There's no disciple maker who you look at, you say, well, I really want to be like him. I really want to be like her. You know, you don't don't read the story of Abraham and say, oh man, I want to be like Abraham. You know, know, sell my wife out a couple of times to a few kings and do whatever, you know, I'd be like Abraham. No, nobody wants that. 
you know, we're about to study the story of Esther, and nobody said, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to be like Esther, you know? I want to join a harem and see if I can win the crown and become queen. That sounds like fun. No! Nobody's saying, I want to be like Esther. You get to David, oh, man, adultery, murder, I want to be... No, nobody wants to be like David. You're in the New Testament, Peter, oh, man, right when Jesus needs him most, the faithful teacher, rabbi, I want, I'll deny him? No, nobody wants to be like Peter, Paul. I'm going to go on a rampage against the church and see all these Christians killed. I want the gospel to be snuffed. No, nobody wants to be like Paul either. You go through all the people of Scripture. You don't look at any of them and say, oh, I want to be like them. No, you look at Jesus. You say, he's it. He stands alone. He is preeminent. There is no one like him. There's no one like him. And with him, our failure is not fatal. Because he reaches into our weakness and he reaches into our shortcomings and he allows us, even these people that we talked about, to make disciples. In fact, one thing you don't read about when you read about the scripture, when you read through the scriptures, is someone who meets Jesus and says, wow, that's good. I, I, you know, I think what I'll do is just peer into the empty tomb once a year and just then go back into like safety and security and call it good. No. Anyone who meets the risen Christ, it's awe. It's joy. You are compelled to share the gospel to make disciples. Perfectly, no. It's a road marked with failure. But with God, all praise goes to him. All celebration goes to him because we realize it's him and him alone that I've been able to do anything, that I've seen anything. Praise God that with him our failure is not fatal. You know, the ending of Mark, it's actually fitting because when you turn back to the beginning, Mark 1.1, and you see how he titled his gospel, he titled it this way, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You understand, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, it brings this narrative to a close, but the resurrection is not the end of the story. It's only the beginning. Just as the tomb does not contain Jesus, so also Mark's gospel does not contain the gospel. It goes on. The the resurrection, it sets in motion a new story, a story that's continued to unfold. It's, It's this story that we're now allowed to enter. And Christians throughout the centuries have been entering. It's like each, each new wave of Christians, each new generation of Christians is the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter of Mark's gospel. And right now, we are the next chapter because we've been brought in. We've been let in on this good news. And so then the question comes, what will you do with this good news you've been let in on? Will you just be terrified in fear? Will you run away and just seek security and safety? Or will you share the message, the gospel of Mark? It leaves us with this unfinished business to proclaim the good news. Because the ending is not the ending, it's only the beginning. We've been brought into this never-ending story, in a sense, until Jesus returns. 
And so now the baton has been passed to you. You've been let in on this good news that Jesus is risen, that he is alive. In Mark's uh, gospel, it begs the question, will you tell the story? Because the truth is that there are many today that are gathering in a place like this. And they come and look in the empty tomb for a moment. And sing praise songs and declare that Jesus is risen. And then they'll walk outdoors just like these. And they'll go and they'll have a nice meal somewhere and eat eat good on Easter, you know. And then tomorrow will come. And they will go back right into the routine of life. Right into the things that they always do. Back into their security and their safety. Not really left in awe. Not really compelled by who Jesus is to share the good news that they've been let in on. And so, the words of that young man dressed in white... They ring true for us today, too. We need to hear it. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. You know, it's the most common command in Scripture. Because we as humans, we're a fearful bunch, you know. We get afraid. We we, we look at what's going on in our world and we get afraid. We think about this calling, this commission to share the gospel, to make disciples. And we get afraid. Because we wonder, well, what's it going to cost me at my job? What will my friends think? This, this could bring some uncomfortable situations. Maybe it would add some tension to my life. There is some cost to it. And so we become afraid. You know, Peter, he wrote in 1 Peter 3, he asked this question, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? You know the answer in the first century? Plenty of people. Plenty of people are out to to harm you if you do good for the sake of the gospel. And that's really Peter's conclusion. That yeah, you're going to be harmed. There's a cost to this whole thing. But when you look at what Jesus has done for you on the cross, this glorious good news, how can you stay silent? How can you just go back and just live life as you've always lived it? No, this Good news changes everything. And now that we've been let in on the story, the baton of faith has been passed to us. What will you do with it? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the glorious good news that Jesus is alive. That he is the God of the living, not of the dead. And God, that you would choose to use us. Failed people redeemed by the grace of your son to share the gospel. May we pass the baton of faith faithfully. We recognize we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.